There's an element of idealism that starts the journey, but it oftentimes doesn't take long before the challenges that they face uh, are much more complex, much more difficult than they originally thought. So idealism tends to fade. Individuals hit a time of disillusionment. Um, and that idea of this is just really, really hard. And I don't know about you, but I have yet to meet someone who stepped out in service and after being in it for, you know, three to five years says, it was easier than I thought. Welcome to Acton Line, a podcast from the Acton Institute for the Study of Religion and Liberty. I'm Eric Cohn, executive producer. How can leaders respond to discouragement in their work? In this episode, Noah Gould, Acton's alumni and student programs manager, sits down with Peter Greer, the president and CEO of Hope International, to discuss his latest book, The Gift of Disillusionment. In this conversation, they explore the responses of cynicism and idealism and how leaders can move forward through extreme trials and disappointments. You can find additional resources in the show notes for this episode, as well as find previous episodes of Acton Line on our website at acton.org slash podcast. And if you like this program, you can help us reach even more listeners by sharing it with a friend and by leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. We welcome your comments as well. Acton Line is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Welcome to the Act in Line podcast. My name is Noah Gould, and I am the Alumni and Student Programs Manager here at the Acton Institute. I'm here with Peter Greer, uh, a longtime friend and um, often speaker at Acton University and other Acton events if you've been uh, around our conferences. He's here to talk about his latest book, The Gift of Disillusionment. Thanks so much for being here today. Thanks, Noah. Great to be here. So just to start us off, uh, for someone who hasn't read the book, tell us a little bit about uh, why you wrote uh, this book. Yeah, so uh, this was a project with Chris Horst, my colleague, uh, along with Jill Heisey and Brianna Lapp, and it really started in 2019. And I think that was a season for just personally for both of us that we were feeling uh, like there was challenge after challenge in the work that we do. So we do global microenterprise development, and it felt like there was challenge after challenge. And then that was, as I said, 2019. Little did we know what was in store. And this book uh, is really an exploration of the idea of hope and really what sustains a leader's hope um, after idealism fades. Um, so we were feeling that a little bit and then experienced that in a major way over the last few years. Um, so really an exploration of what sustains our service, what what keeps our hope uh, alive, even in seasons uh, when it feels really, really difficult? Yeah, and there's lots of examples we can think of for reasons to lose hope. There's, you know, crisis of leadership in a lot of different institutions. There's, uh, you know, upheaval around the world. I work with a lot of students, and there's constant questioning of, you know, what, how can I make a difference? How can I uh, change things? It just this kind of angst of growing up uh, in this time that we are in. Tell us a little bit about what's that cycle that you see people go through. Yeah, so kind of the methodology that we uh, used was similar to what we've done with Mission Drift or Rooting for Rivals, but it basically tries to identify 
individuals that are further and farther along the journey than we are and to come and to try and ask a series of questions and then pull out themes that we hear again and again and then to try and find a counterfactual, uh, those that uh, chose a different path. And so really, as we did this, we tried to find a global group of leaders that have been through challenges and yet have retained this level of, of, of vibrancy and service, um, the very best of, of idealism, um, and yet also tempered by some of the challenges. And the crazy thing, Noah, is it didn't matter the context. We were talking to individuals in different sectors, uh, different geographies. Um, and yet we heard a very similar journey, that there's something initially that prompts them to step out and to say, I'm going to make a difference. Not just there's a problem in the world, but I'm going to make a difference. And that idea of idealism being what prompts them to take that first step. And this is not just youth. This is a mid-career individual that's going to make a dramatic change or an individual that's going to start some other aspect of service. So there's an element of idealism that starts the journey, but it oftentimes doesn't take long before the challenges that they face uh, are much more complex, much more difficult than they originally thought. So idealism tends to fade. Individuals hit a time of disillusionment. Um, and that idea of this is just really, really hard. And I don't know about you, but I have yet to meet someone who stepped out in service and after being in it for, you know, three to five years says, it was easier than I thought. <laughs> there are few, fewer challenges than I anticipated. No, it is, it is hard. This is difficult work, even as it is good. So idealism leads to disillusionment, and we believe that's the pivot point. Individuals that turn inward. Um, almost inevitably go to a place of cynicism um, that oftentimes causes individuals to get out of the level of service and to really be on the sideline um, and in some cases almost ridiculing those that are still in the game. Uh, so cynicism uh, we found is a pretty um, harmful uh, attribute for, for leaders, for organizations, and yet is becoming more and more common. Uh, cynicism is on the rise. But we believe in that moment of disillusionment, that's not the only moment. Um, that's not the only option to switch. Um, and there's an option to, to instead of going inward, um, we believe it's an invitation to go upward and to find a different way of sustaining our hope. So that's really the journey. The question is, when I, you start with idealism, you hit disillusionment, uh, what happens next? Is it either to a place of cynicism or can you find a place of enduring and lasting hope? And you have a great little diagram in your book that we can put up on our website for people to, to see. But what, what do you see as kind of the connection between uh, cynicism and turning inward? What's that? What does that process look like? Yeah. So, um, I mean, George Carlin uh, has this quote. He said, scratch any idealist, scratch any cynic, and you'll find a disillusioned idealist. So what he says is, you know, if you look at the cynic, you look at those individuals that that um, that believe it's just too difficult, have given in to a spirit of cynicism. Uh, he says their idealism was confronted by reality, and they've lost hope. Is essentially what he's saying, and that causes uh, cynicism uh, to be on the rise. Um, so, what causes that? I really believe it is the absence of of hope. Um, that is what uh, causes individuals to, to lead to a place of, of cynicism. And this most recent crisis of thinking about the COVID pandemic and a lot of what that did to, to pastors and a lot of different leaders, how, do, how does that affect how you think about this kind of cycle or, or in what ways did you see that play out? In some ways, 
I, <laughs> I mourn the fact that it feels like good timing for a book on disillusionment. Um, that, 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 while I was feeling discouraged as we started this project, it just felt like challenges have continued. And the stats that have come out recently, um, after the book came out, um, have pointed to more and more evidence that there is growing disillusionment across a variety of sectors. So the American Psychological Association uh, recently reported that 49% of teachers are dreaming about quitting the profession or at least transferring schools. So one out of two of your kids' teachers are thinking about how can I get out. 38% of pastors are dreaming about quitting, according to new research by Barna. And among the healthcare professionals, 90% of nurses are thinking about quitting within the next 12 months, according to a recent survey. So that just to me is, and that's just three sectors. I, I think this has been a tough season of leadership. Um, we have felt let down by our leaders. We have felt torn um, by conflict and and it is hard. It is really hard, whether you're a teacher or a nurse or trying to do good in the world in whatever place or space. This has been a season of incredible challenge. And again, just my journey with Hope International, um, I would say I'm always a fairly upbeat and optimistic person, but COVID and watching the impact on the people and places that we serve with 100 million people falling back into extreme poverty – and then the war in Ukraine, um, the challenges right now, uh, when we hear about a nuclear power plant, we have staff that are very close to Zaporozhye, and we are hearing these news, and it is our friends that are in close proximity, and it just has felt like there has been wave after wave after wave. But again, the great gift of <laughs> this writing project has been Let's find those individuals that are in those circumstances, even more difficult circumstances, and have found a way to keep on serving and to say, what sustains your service? What can we learn from our global leaders that live with unpredictability, that live with a level of, of, of challenge in their day-to-day -day existence, and to let them uh, be the teachers in this moment about how to serve um, despite really incredible challenges? One way to restate kind of the project that you're talking about is this idea of, you know, the problem of suffering, right? The problem of pain. What what, what does a leader do when they walk in thinking these, these are the big things I'm going to do and they come face to face with just how deep and kind of entrenched the suffering is? So how would you – what's kind of your uh, advice to leaders who are grappling with just real suffering in their context? Uh, there's two things that come to mind. One is – Words that a friend of mine uh, in Rwanda said, but he said, um, we know in, in rural Rwanda that we need to have four friends, um, four really good friends. Uh, that's fairly specific. Tell me more. <laughs> and he said, uh, that is the rural ambulance. Um, you need to know there are four people that are going to carry you if it's 3 a.m. and you need to get to the clinic. And I think that principle is not just for uh, rural Rwanda, but the question is, it's a um, moment of, of great challenge. Who's in it with you? Who are those individuals that you are not trying to impress? <laughs> you are not trying to, to win over. These are friends that are doing life with you. And if you do not have four of those friends that will show up at 3 a.m. and figuratively carry you in those moments, um, yeah, you need it. Life, it's just not a solo sport. Uh, we are designed and wired to be in it together. And that's what we found, actually, with all the individuals that we, we, we interviewed while we tell their story, 
They were so quick to say, but let me tell you about my community. Let me tell you about others that have been on this journey with me. And um, so I'd say that similar piece. And then the second piece, I, I think that we are inundated with bad news, um, that we are inundated with what's wrong or this failure or this challenge. And I think we can slowly believe that that's the full story. Um, and if headlines can believe that is <laughs> that is the full story, but but it's not. So I think this is a moment, if you're feeling discouraged, this is a moment to maybe turn off uh, the negative uh, messages and go find those individuals that you know, that you respect and and get to know them. Ask a question, what has sustained your service? Um, I think this is a moment that we need to be reminded that there's so much good that is happening. There are individuals that might not make the headlines, but are just faithfully, oftentimes silently behind the scenes, serving year after year. And I think those are the stories that we need to hear right now. Yeah. And I know in my own life, I think about the people that I grew up with or, or know who just, that's that's what they do. Every day they get up, they're faithful. And, and that's encouraging and, and I think what we need the the kind of bigger picture of the the longer term is really just it's one day by one, one day I know you did do some of that work of finding positive stories and talking to people what are some of those stories that uh, are the people that you talk to uh, through this project uh, and and that truly I, I cannot overstate how life-giving that was over the last few years <laughs> to literally be in the midst of some some real challenges in the world, some real challenges operationally, and then to have time on my calendar <laughs> to set aside and just listen to stories. And what I love, too, is that the stories that we heard, these are not easy wins. Like, these are not um, not pretending that there aren't real challenges. They were very real with that. And yet it also was just a strength of, of hope um, despite or in the midst of um, incredible challenges. So, yeah, I mean, some of the stories that I think of, I think of uh, Reverend Fry Mutamiri, um, and maybe I connected with him because I lived in Zimbabwe and, and saw what was happening. Um, he lost his, his church. He lost his parish. He lost his, um, his home, um, and he was speaking out against the corruption uh, of the church and of the of the government, but instead of growing cynical, um, he saw his role as as a reformer um, and faithfully uh, continued to do the work of loving God and loving his neighbors. And he would tell people when they would come to church to bring two things, to bring their Bible and to bring a wet cloth so that when the tear gas was thrown in, they'd be able to cover their faces. That was just his reality. And um, and yet he still stayed faithful, even though I'm sure there were moments when he said, this is not what I signed up for. Um, and I think about Joanne Lyon, about the work that she's been doing. Um, and uh, she had given up on the church earlier. She had given up. Um, and part of the reason was she saw a church that was apathetic when there was incredible racial uh, injustice. And then she went to Ethiopia and came back, um, and she found similarly apathy to the incredible needs, the famine that was happening there from the church. And her husband was a pastor, and she says, I begged him, I pleaded with him to get another job, to get out. And yet she had this radical encounter with God and found herself being yeah, love being poured into her, and uh, that was a that was a change. And now she has been 
um, actively loving and serving within her church. She now is a leader within uh, the Wesleyan denomination and and uh, the founder of World Hope International. And she is still getting after it in her 80s. Um, and, and so anyway, it was so life-giving, Noah. That was the best part of this, was just to be reminded there is so much good that is happening. Um, and we want, we want those stories to get more airtime, um, not just the stories of, of challenge and, and pain, but faithful service in, the spite, in spite of those challenges. And part of this conversation, um, this idea of grit sometimes comes into the conversation. I know you talk a little bit about that in your book. Can you tell us kind of how you engage that idea? Yeah, so, I mean, Angela Duckworth and her research uh, on grit in her book, uh, there's also the resilient factor, and there have been a number of books that have been formative in the business community really about a similar theme um, about how do we how do we get more grit? Uh, and there are formulas. Uh, this is what you can do to get more grit. And I guess as we started our research, we were interested in hearing from our global leaders to say, is it the same formula? Um, and the leaders that we reached out to, again, facing incredible challenges, we heard a little bit of a different response uh, than kind of what has been in, in the um, some of the modern uh, research. And and what we heard was uh, they, they, they exhibited incredible grit and resilience. Like there's no question they were off the charts, but they had a different answer of like, what's the foundation of this? And for the individuals that we interviewed, uh, faith was central. Um, faith was the source. Faith was what was the, 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 the source that allowed them to have this grit. And so many of them pointed to the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah and specifically pointed to Jeremiah 17 and really this idea about blessed are those whose trust is in the Lord, who have made the Lord their hope and confidence. Really this idea about there is a source that uh, allows them to continue in the midst of drought conditions, continue to serve, continue to love, continue to be on the front lines, and to do so year after year and decade after decade. So that was really what the what 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 the uh, it was just great to hear was they have a source. So it's not just like muster up all the grit. It actually was go back to the source, um, go back to the the call, go back to the mission, go back to what it is that is going to allow you to serve um, in a long-term faithful way in the midst of incredible challenges. And that makes sense, kind of grit as this just inward power. Is it really, where does that come from? That's a, a good question to dive deeper into. Yeah, and yeah. just in summary, it was like, is, is grit the root or is grit the fruit? Yeah. Um, and what we heard is they found that is the fruit. Uh, they had a different source. So as you look at your own organization, you know, you kind of serve in all these different contexts of you know, a lot of difficult situations. How do you kind of move forward and, and get your team to move forward, even in the face of things that feel like they're moving, you know, in the wrong direction? We can think about the poverty rate, violence, things like this. How do you move forward in, in the face of those those types of things? Yeah, thanks, Noah. I think the, the, the one piece that I'm, um, again, we work in difficult contexts. We are faced with a lot of challenges. There's a one of our staff members' son um, has been taken hostage uh, by the uh, Russian uh, invading army right now. I mean, there there is a lot of hurt and pain in the places that we serve, and it, it hits very close to home for us with the global team of Hope International. Um, in the midst of that, I think we need to also be great 
at finding those moments of joy and celebration together. And I think that um, this is a moment uh, when uh, I find that if you are only focused on all of the challenges and you're not having a counterweight of joy and celebration, you're missing out. So what do we do to celebrate and party (laughs) together? Uh, That is important. What are those stories of success and breakthrough? We got to make sure we are giving airtime to those stories as well. So I think what we choose to celebrate in this moment, that is really, really important. And then the second piece is, I think, uh, for us as an organization, just the commitment to global prayer, the commitment to physically being together and the opportunity to, with Thanksgiving, uh, to present our request to God. Um, that is that is a joy. That is a delight. And I have been so deeply touched uh, by the prayers and friendship of an incredible group of global colleagues um, as well. So that connection, that community, that celebration, prayer, I think those are the things that, um, yeah, help us when it does feel sometimes like we are just barraged by by bad news. Well, thanks so much for uh, talking with me today. And uh, the new book is The Gift of Disillusionment. And I hope uh, our listeners will uh, go out and buy it wherever quality books are sold. So thanks so much for being with me today, Peter. It's a joy. Thanks, Noah. As always, thank you for listening. Our team loves putting this podcast together for you. It's encouraging to hear from our listeners. Feedback is incredibly important to us because it lets us know what you'd like to hear more of, including the kinds of topics you're interested in most. If you have comments, feedback, or ideas for a show topic or interesting guest, you can email our team at producer at acton.org. Until next week, for Acton Line, I'm Eric Cohn.